watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have, is it four? Four. Four movies. Quattro films. Oh, we're doing it like that again today? Mm. I guess it is still Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, see. HHM. <laughs> Let's see and make sure your dad signs off on this. Yeah, my Quattro. dad did not approve this language. Did he? No, no, he did not. So we're um, taking a wild guess here. So the movies that we have are The Florida Project, um, with a guest interview by Sean Baker, the director, Marshall, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, and The Meyerowitz Stories, New and Selected. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. That mess. That mess. Um, Jason, what's up with you? Well, Rebecca, I think it's the same thing that's been up with you, which is just following along in gross horror at every new revelation in the ongoing Harvey Weinstein controversy. Mm, uh, controversy? Controversy. Co- uh, the... Controversy implies that there's like another side, doesn't it? Mm, Shitstorm. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm, um, Shitpocalypse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, you know, bef- and, and we will we will talk about this, but I I don't know about you, but I feel like guys, you may have heard, um, if you're not local, you may have heard that here in Northern California, we are dealing with a bit of a situation on our hands right now. Um, you know, there have been uh, a series of ongoing uh, wild fucking fires um, mm-hmm. going on just due north of San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, in uh, in wine country in Santa Rosa and Sonoma, Napa. And, uh, and it's, it's, we can tell Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because our city has been blanketed with smoke the way it's normally blanketed with fog, Mm -hmm. um, for the last few days. And that of course pales in comparison to the experience of of the people who are actually in the middle of it, who've lost their homes. It's insane. The number of homes. There are so, there are a lot of missing people. Yeah. Definitely double digits. Um, people who've passed away. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I feel like this is the thing that pushed over the top for me because it's one thing when all these disasters happening around the world are like in the abstract in the sense that they're not happening locally. But now we have one locally. Ah, empathy. So yes. hard. So hard to, to <laughs> spread across zip codes. Well, no, I mean, like, like, I've never seen a flood. It doesn't like, happen. Well, trying to, I mean, you know, I have been in a flood, but several, but you know, it's, it's like, you know, you're like reading the news about Puerto Rico and you're reading the news about Texas and then you're reading the news about Las Vegas and then you're reading the news about Trump. And then and then suddenly also your whole city is like engulfed in smoke. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it definitely it definitely I think the thing about the, the smoke is that it uh, changes the way the world looks. It looks yeah. like uh, like right. It looks like the magic hour, um, mm. 6 p.m. Lots of selfies for Rebecca these days <laughs> in case you guys have noticed on her Instagram. glowing. <laughs> No, but like it, it's it's eleven o'clock in the afternoon, and it looks like six p.m., mm-hmm. uh, which is which has a very um, end of times feel to it. Yes, um, along with like the dramatic clouds and stuff. I think um, I think in terms of this is a thing that happens every year. You know, much like the hurricanes, there's it's refreshing. No, I don't know. This is everything I say sounds terrible. But, you know, it's important to keep that in mind um, because we have a tendency to sort of like you know, lose our um, our sanity a bit. And, and maybe even, you know, if we think things are so bad, we stop being as kind to each other. Um, which, so it's, which thing happens every year? Uh, the wildfires happen around this time every year. Sure, but this, of course, is on a, on a much larger scale than in previous years. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, a, it's on a scale. Like, entire cities were, like, it's devastated. Just, it's, this is more, this is closer to civilization. Usually mm-hmm. they're like in the Yosemite area, mm-hmm. um, but this is this one's a lot closer to where you know people live and and where they have wineries. Um, right. Normally we don't see like those pictures of entire blocks that were right. devastated. Right. Um, but that said, yeah, everything is um, still terrible. terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Everything is terrible. Luckily for us, um, we are uh, safe. Yes, we are safe as of right now. As, yeah. uh, so. Uh, the Weinstein thing. 
Uh, yeah, mm. that is, that is, it's just every, like, literally, I feel like that has now become what we have been saying these last few months about, like, as soon as we say anything about Trump or politics, the second we edit the show and put it out there, it's, like, irrelevant. Right, yeah. Because so many other things have happened. Mm-hmm. That is, that is the pace with which things have happened with this Weinstein story. Yeah, really, it just... Non-stop. Like, I look at my Instagram in the morning, I follow so many actresses, and just this morning, Kate Beckinsale came right. forward. Right, saying um, she was 17 when he first... Uh, hit on her and then later right. on he didn't remember they couldn't remember whether or not he had assaulted her and took her to run at her again uh, <sighs> in reading um, that's a terrible you know, way to say that yeah uh, it is uh, it is really obviously very very horrifying and now Rose McGowan mm. has confirmed that that it was that he she she has used the word rape to describe that uh, what happened between her and Harvey Weinstein um, in 1997 wow which led to the settlement uh, so because she was tweeting at Jeff Bezos today because she's, she is, I guess, having some sort of conflict, like Amazon pulled a plug on something of hers that they had greenlit and has something to do with the Harvey Weinstein thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, so she's putting Amazon on blast and she is, and she is, yeah, she's using the word rape to describe what happened between her and Harvey. Question for you. So as a, as a man, um, but who is gay? <laughs> Um, I think that it's an, it's interesting because you've you've uh, although one of the other interesting things that have happened out of this are all the tales of um, male actors who have yes. been sexually assaulted, which is mm-hmm. Terry Crews, James, James Vanderbeek. Um, so, but anyway, where where you stand, I you know mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that you know you're not yes. a Hollywood starlet. Um, are you surprised by this? I mean, I think I'm surprised by, um, okay, well, let me, here's my perspective on it. Um, in the 90s, I, as like a precocious, like indie movie lover in the 90s, I was obsessed with Miramax, which was Harvey mm-hmm, Weinstein's mm-hmm, company. Mm-hmm. And then when they, when Bob Weinstein launched Dimension, which was like the genre mm-hmm. spinoff of Miramax that put out Scream, so scream yeah. which is how they had Rose McGowan. And uh, so, you know, like that was Miramax was such a terrific conduit for like the mainstreaming of indie film mm-hmm. um, to really pull it up out of out of the sort of like Obscure. underground and then to put it into like, to make it more of an awards uh, contender. Um, and so like, you know, if a movie was a Miramax movie, that was all I needed to watch it mm-hmm. in the 90s. And so now uh, I feel very sick about that because I feel like it's exactly that kind of adulation that was given to Miramax that gave Harvey the power that he had um, that he could get away with this. They had the reputation at Miramax that they could make you a star. They could give you the kind of movie that would get you an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had in, they had cred. They had more cred than any other. They were like the A24 of their day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had... Don't you, don't don't you, you do fuck it, A24. this up, A24. Don't do not fuck this up. We are all up. rooting for you. Isn't it... Isn't it History a woman has its is, eyes on you. Uh, a woman is, is the head of A24, right? The, she's, sure. she's the daughter of... Um... Are you thinking of Megan Ellison? Yep. No, she's not the head. She, Anna Perna is her company. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, good effort. Uh, so, but no, like to think that, you know, people like me out there, even though like obviously like, you know, some 14 year old Pennsylvania, you know, had no impact, but like cumulatively all people who look to Miramax as this leader and were like, Miramax is everything. That is part of what gave him the power that he had to terrify people and to exploit people uh, who would come to him hoping for a piece of the success and a piece of the power that mm-hmm. he had. And so so it's very, it makes me very, 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 very sad to look back on all those years that I spent like championing Miramax, thinking that in a small way that I was making it easier for Harvey Weinstein uh, to exploit people, um, to, to be in the position of power that he was, mm-hmm. where he could systematically prey on people. I would say, I'm not, I, wouldn't, I would never be, I would never say I'm surprised by an individual case of sexual harassment. But I am very surprised by the systematic sexual predator way mm-hmm. that he went about it. Like Scott mm-hmm. and I were talking about it last night. Scott's like, Jesus, it's it's, it's like Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. It's like how every mm-hmm. single story from one of Bill Cosby's victims had all the same pieces to it. Like mm-hmm. sexual predators, rapists, they have techniques. They have methods. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sickening when you read story after story after story 
all independently sourced that all have the exact same like DNA to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, it's, it's horrifying. I think that Harvey Weinstein has been doing this for so many years and every, so many actresses are coming forward with the exact same kind of story about how he got them alone Mm -hmm. and how he leveraged two things to get what he wanted from them. Um, I was at, when I was at uh, TIFF a few years ago, I was at a party, the, 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 the premiere party for the movie. Now it's called Three Generations. Then it was called About Ray. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And that was a Weinstein title. And he was there at the party. And so I was like, at the time, I was just thinking like, oh, cool. Look, there he is. Because I was like right next to him. And, and, and uh, you know, I was just like, I was like, wow, Harvey Weinstein. That's so cool. Um, and, you know, just watching him just be vaguely flirtatious with cocktail waitresses and things like that mm-hmm. and not thinking anything of it. Sure. And, and just, just imagining, and he, you know, he had a lot of, you know, women around that were working with him and for him. And, 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 and now it's just sort of like, you know, who fucking knows? I mean, and now, now we know that Tiff from some of the accounts was one of his like praying grounds. Ugh. Um, you know, cause he, that's, that's a fucking, I, all it is is hotel suites at right. Tiff. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really, uh. Yeah, horrifying uh, to in a cast so much into this dark pall. Like, who among us will be able to watch? You know, think of like a Shakespeare in Love again, knowing that by the time that that they had even made Shakespeare in Love, that he had already attacked Gwyneth when they were making Emma, mm-hmm. which was before that, um, and that you know, putting her into this position where she you know was victimized by him, and then you know was was fearful and didn't know what to do. Right. Uh, it's yeah. What do I you mean, think? You, I mean, I think that that you know. These actresses, um, you know, still put out amazing work, and so to to sort of carry it over to the movie, I think um, might might not be, you know, if it's difficult, it's difficult, and that's mm-hmm. um, that's sad. Um, but they still, you know, did did amazing, amazing work, work in these movies, and mm-hmm. like it, you know, shouldn't. It shouldn't be in vain, I guess, or something like that, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, oh yeah, I'm not saying like, and so we should never watch these movies. Sure, again. yeah, I mean. It's tough, though, because we have these conversations as a culture around, like, you know, do we... And this is a conversation we've had here on the show and a conversation that I know you sort of grappled with internally around, like, what do we do with pieces of art that are mm. that are made by, you know, by problematic men? Um, you it's know, like, where do you start and where do you stop? Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, like, does it invalidate all the great work made by the people within a piece of art if the person at the helm is a rapist? Uh, so, you what know, do we do? It's a, I don't know what we do. It's a tough conversation, but I think right now we focus on, I don't think, I don't think the f- most pressing question is what do we do with the art? I think the most pressing question is like, how do we really make an example out of this mm-hmm. and keep following through on exposing this kind of thing? So that like Samantha B did a great thing this week about it, where she was basically, she's like, I want any man out there. Um, to before he opens his mouth to any woman he works with from here on out to imagine that she has me on fucking speed dial. Mm, <laughs> like, I want you yeah. to speak to the women you work with as if the whole world is watching you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, because it's... I think that the interesting part, at least what I've seen in my experience um, with people that I've worked with or known over the years that have been, um, you know, to varying levels, varying degrees of um, of victimization or victims of this this sort of behavior is that, um, you know, it's it's very easy to say like, you know, if this happens, you know, this they talk to you and you're like, if this happens, I will fucking kill that person. Let's mm-hmm. do this. Let's do that. Let's go right. here. Let's call this. But then when it happens to the person, there are, are a whole it's a whole slew of things that keep you from taking action. Absolutely, um, uh, fear of retaliation. Yeah, Terry Crews um, laid it out really, thir- really right. succinctly was, on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. You're like, so shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? A man said it better. <laughs> so if you could just stop trying to stop trying to put in your own words. Um, but I mean, even ha- even you know, the thing of admitting that these things happen to you is a whole other you know side of the trauma that is, is hard to get over mm-hmm. before you even consider like oh you might not be believed you might not get a job and you know all these other mm-hmm. uh, power uh, issues at, at play yeah um so yeah i think being a, an ally and trying to be supportive um in a way that's both uh respectful to victims and also i don't know effective in some way or like doing what you can to to speak for them and make sure doesn't nothing happens on your watch Mm-hmm. Um, it's really all you can do because yeah. the thing is like it's mm-hmm. not just like this dynamic of him being so powerful and being able to make you an Oscar winner mm-hmm. is like one side of the spectrum right like that's like you know super famous and super rich but like 
this power dynamic exists in the same um, ratio when it's like, you know, a fast food manager and employee who really mm-hmm. needs that job and you yeah. know needs the hours and can't go anywhere or doesn't have a car that, to get to drive mm-hmm. somewhere else. Like that sort of um, power is is yeah. not just at that at that uh, end of things. No, no, it's not. I was um I was listening to uh, a stand up named Caitlin Gill on Two Dope Queens recently, and she was talking about how um recently she was like out and about and some little girl like walked up to her and was like, "Are you a boy or a girl?" And she, like, breaks into this whole, like, great riff on, like, what that question means. Mm-hmm. And um, and one of the things that she says is, like, really what that question boils down to is, are you predator or are you prey? Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, and that really hit me. Wow. Uh, uh, just the, the totality of that thought. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, of, of, because, yeah. Yeah, what else does that mean? Like, yeah, does I it, mean, like, where's the lie? On my way here, I was walking and uh, I was walking behind this woman and we walked past this group of guys and, you know, I was like enough steps behind her that mm-hmm. I could see them all turn around and like, t- like talk to each other and like look at her ass. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, like what, why I, I, what I did was subtly put my middle finger down to like, mm. <laughs> you know, the in their view, which was nothing. Mm-hmm. But it's like, right. Then you, she didn't see her, it. Right. right? Then, you so quickly, then you quickly checked her out. And <laughs> no, God, <laughs> no. Um, but yeah that's it so that's that's what it's like to be prey walking down the street Mm -hmm. um and that's that's it like that's so every day yeah everyone's every day yeah i mean not my every day but right it's um so movies huh (laughs) right the saddest part is that it's like it's always hard when it's someone who you know is such a champion for like you know as you mentioned you know great art and Mm -hmm. um you know very active in the democratic causes exactly yeah that uh that sucks. Yeah, it really sucks. And um, and now it seems like it's unleashed a torrent of like people are coming forward. Like someone just came forward and accused a guy at Amazon. Some guy. Oh yeah, that's uh, great. And uh, you know, when there's you know uh, the thing with Ben Affleck groping Hillary Burton on TRL way back in the day mm-hmm. has come back to the surface. Uh, and you know, it just you know I think that that is. You know, this is kind of what needs to happen right. to make guys. The only way that this will stop, I fear, is like if guys are scared of of repercussions. So that I, there were some shitty articles today where it's like of the course. backlash of this is that there are like VCs in Silicon Valley who won't take meetings with a woman alone. Right. Yeah. Um, which you know, there's I mean, that it's, other it's, whole it's, it's fire called, called pensing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it pensive? Pensive. <laughs> They're feeling very pensive about uh, about being alone with a woman. Um, but you know, I mean, like that's that's it, like that's the that's another power. Right? It's like you are the one. Mm-hmm. You're the VC with the money. Yeah. And so you just won't meet with women. Um, if, if, like. Just take your money right. and go home, um, but that can only last so long because that's not where we are in the world. Like uh, that, I don't think that that should be given given any any. No, know, no. I mean, like, what is what is the you know, so what is the logical extension of bringing that up? Okay, right. so so sorry, women, please shut up um, because you're scaring off your job prospects if you're going to be all mouthy right. about all the rape. Uh, like what? Unbelievable. So, like you know, like like who would even the the fucking nerve of anyone mm-hmm. to even be like, well, you know, this you know that means that job opportunities are going to dry up. It's like as a versus what? What is the alternative? <laughs> what is the alternative? Like to just keep on like being like silently harassed and touched and raped? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, like just you know, like fucking deal with it. Be adults and be like, okay, well, how can we do this in a way that we all feel safe? And right. that, that, you know, right. that, uh, that there is accountability and that I'm not, don't invite women back to your hotel room, right. uh, for meetings to talk about their job prospects. How about that's a good place to start? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like just Jesus Christ. We can't have nice things. <laughs> uh, so I also saw an article that I did not read. Um, mm. Just like all these movies that I did not see, mm-hmm. um, about the, all, what are all the Weinstein movies that are coming out this fall that are going to be yeah, affected by it? Um, yeah. One was the Suburbicon. The, yeah, that was Weinstein, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and I don't remember where the others. The were. Current War. Oh, uh, uh-huh. yeah, that was a big one because Suburbicon is not going to be an Oscar movie, but the Current War they thought might be. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully, hopefully the the people who are in you know the actresses in these movies don't have to suffer because of this. Well, yeah, Julianne Moore is in Suburbicon, and she mm-hmm. already she she was um, being interviewed about um, about gun control on TV today, uh-huh. and um, and she you know spoke out against Harvey Weinstein, and, mm-hmm. and you know said she had never personally experienced it, but you know condemned it in no uncertain terms. So, uh, yeah. Um, so let's start with our first movie, which <laughs> is the Florida Project, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. 
Set over one summer, the Florida Project follows precocious six-year-old Mooney as she courts mischief and adventure with her ragtag playmates and bonds with a rebellious but caring mother, all while living in the shadows of Disney World. The man who lives in here gets arrested a lot. These are the rooms we're not supposed to go in. But let's go anyways. Could you give us some change, please? The doctor said we have asthma and we gotta eat ice cream yeah. right away. Here you go. Hey, Lee, got a situation here. Open up. It's only second week of the summer, and there's already been a dead fish in the pool. We're trying to get it back alive. Water blooms thrown at tourists. Boobies! Boobies! I failed as a mother, Moni. Yeah, Mom, you're a disgrace. So I have I have chills from the trailer. Mm. Literal chills. Mm. I see, I see, the, I see the, the cold waves coming off, mm-hmm. yeah. It is... Guys, this is... Welcome to one of the best movies of the year. Welcome to the Florida Project. This of the is the past couple years as well. Maybe, maybe. Uh, this is uh, tremendous, amazing, inspired, compassionate art uh, from director, co-writer Sean Baker, who previously made the movie Tangerine, among a few others, such as uh, Starlet. But Tangerine was his definitely his breakthrough movie that mm-hmm. got a lot of attention, um, both for its uh, its filmmaking, the way it was shot, which was with an iPhone. Uh, realistic puking scene. Very, very, all too real. Too, too realistic. <laughs> that's how Rebecca thinks of the movie. That's, <laughs> In spite of it, it was one of my favorite movies. Yes, a movie that. Anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, and I was able to interview him for that movie as well back before we had the podcast, and uh, and I was super excited that I got to sit down with him again just a few days ago to talk about this movie, The Florida Project. Uh, so. This is a story that, again, as with Starlet, as with Tangerine, is a story that sort of takes place on the margins of society. Mm -hmm. Um, But very similarly to Tangerine, which we discussed in this interview, it has has a vibrancy and a humor to it and a a sort of an upbeat touch, Mm -hmm. uh, but not in any sort of like cloying or sentimental way. Uh, in the same way that Tangerine um, looked at the subject of trans sex workers of color in L.A., mm. but, but told a farce. Mm-hmm. Tangerine was a farce. And a lot of that came from conversations that Sean had with the stars of the movie about how, uh, you know, they uh, they were like, we will do this movie with you and collaborate with you on it if you make it the kind of movie that we actually would want to watch. Right. And right. not like a woe is me plight of movie. Right. It's not for the audience of people who, like... It's not the make you feel good uh, for people who are outside of the situation. Like, look at those plucky people who have Mm-mm. this difficult situation. And it's also not like, um, what would that be a called? Like an emotional porn, like making right. people feel f- for these people in a way right. that, like, it's either, not tragedy both way, porn. Other, others them, right? Exactly. It's a way that shows a different perspective that is realistic and true to them. Yes. Um, and really strives not to be condescending, mm-hmm. um, which we touch which on as well. Which unfortunately. Has not <laughs> passed right. over into this podcast. <laughs> uh, so the Florida Project, uh, his focus this time is um, is uh, people who are, you know, the very very impoverished. Um, focusing specifically on Florida, it's named the Florida Project because that was the um, the blueprint title of a uh, Disney World mm. before it was mm. built. Was the Florida Project interesting? Um, and this film takes place in res- in motels that are in the shadow of Disney World Oof. around Orlando. All of which have sort of like knockoff Disney names like the Magic Castle, mm. uh, which is the main location for this film. Uh, and uh, and it also, the film has a somewhat Disney-ish uh, format in the sense that we have a story about like this this sort of incorrigible young girl who would normally be sort of like your plucky princess mm-hmm. um, who has a sort of a conflicted parent figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, the movie, for for a, for a, a, a big chunk of it, plays out like a series of of mostly very comic vignettes, hmm. um, just small moment vignettes uh, of Mooney, this young girl, uh, just 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 passing time and playing, and uh, it, which is hard to describe in a way that makes it sound like it's at all interesting to watch. <laughs> but I don't remember another movie in history that more accurately or viscerally captures the imagination of kids mm. and the way that you're just self-sustaining and you're so resilient as a child mm-hmm. um, because these kids don't know <laughs> that they live in fucking squalor. Uh, they right. have no mm-hmm. clue. They're too young. They don't understand that much about the world. And so they're just running around having a ball. 
while the parents are just desperately trying to make ends meet Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to make that weekly payment to the manager of the motel, who's played by Willem Dafoe, Mm. who's terrific. Um, And, you know, and to, to not stay there long enough that he then has to, like, rotate them out because he kind of... He's a great conflicted character where on the one hand, you know, he is tasked with running this hotel, this motel and keeping up certain standards, but he also, you know, his heart goes out in whatever, Mm -hmm. even though through his gruff exterior to these tenants who give him nothing but headaches, nothing but problems, nothing but trouble. Um, But he, he wants to help them out. He wants Mm -hmm. to let them keep staying, even though it's not meant to be a residential motel, even though there are policies in place that say people have to leave Mm -hmm. after a certain amount of time. Um, So... You know, so all this is going on, and for the first, like, two-thirds or so, it's mainly just we're just watching this series of vignettes that are sort of just setting up all these characters and their interactions, and it feels so real and so true and so authentic. Um, and then in the final act, things do start to happen, and not good things, and uh, leading to a just a gorgeously powerful finale. Uh, so it is, it is tremendous. It's gorgeously shot. Uh, it is, it is just when you're watching it, you're like, this is life. I'm watching like this movie is like a life force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Sean Baker, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's every, not everyone manages to follow up right. their huge, massively acclaimed breakthrough movie with a movie that seems not only as good, but maybe even better. But Sean Baker has pulled that off with the Florida project. And, and also with the majority of the movie, you know, starring a bunch of children. Yeah. I mean, is... oh, the entire movie, Myas Willem Dafoe, is like non-actors, mm-hmm. um, you know, just like in Tangerine, uh, where almost the entire cast were, were first-time actors. Mm-hmm. Same here. That's been uh, that's been working out pretty well. It worked out so well with American Honey as well. It did. Um, and some people have, have drawn comparisons from this to this American like Honey. This is like <laughs> it's like the pre prelogue to American Honey, right? Um, you know, but uh, but this this is I would take this over American Honey any day. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, it, it should not work. It's sh- a movie starring a bunch of young kids who've never acted before should not work. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, does it work? Let's take a listen to uh, your interview with Sean Baker. Let's do it. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Sean. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, so I think one of the things that I want to talk about with Florida Project is something that I see in all of your films and something that I think is what art does at its best, and that is speak to compassion and curiosity. I feel like those things are like the bedrock of your work, and I think that that's the kind of thing that can like save the world. Mm. And so, so I wanted to just hear some thoughts from you on like, how you learned compassion and like and how that has come to inform your the stories you tell as a filmmaker well uh gosh good question big question um i uh you know i that's a it's a very general question too because it's it's about i guess it's about my upbringing (laughs) (laughs) let's dive deep let's go all the way back sure i mean uh i i do have very loving parents who have always supported me and have been very um, I think their outlook on the world uh, they've always been you know they from very early on they were they were uh, they attended an ethical society mm-hmm. not a church they were it was about them um, seeing the world in a different way and and, 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 and I think teaching compassion and empathy and uh, and and just being um, I think also uh, also just teaching uh, my mother is a very kind person I, I I know this is these are very general terms but there she 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 was a she was a school teacher mm-hmm. and I think that you know she was a pre-k teacher actually hmm. Um, so this, I think, this film fascinated her because these mm. were the these were the age of the children that she was uh, teaching. But right. and I think that maybe growing up with somebody who who taught young children and nourished young children, uh, I think that nur- n- nurtured young children. Mm-hmm. I think that there was um, that my sister and I, we were just raised with a sense of uh, awareness of, of of you know understanding that. That there are people out there who who 
have it a lot worse than what we do and mm. and, and and being conscious of that and being and um, and not having you know oh hopefully and uh, this is weird speaking about this because it's it's uh, it's talking about myself in a certain way but uh, but but just having um, I think looking at the world in an empathetic way I think yeah. that this is something that was just taught just pure family values and, and sure. you know and I don't mean to and uh, what about uh, you know coming up as a film lover, as a film student? Were there uh, films that you would watch that would sort of resonate with that piece of you? Because you know, I think it's yeah. As I got older, and I and actually I didn't really begin. My love for cinema started in the popcorn fair, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody else. Like, right. Uh, you know, Star Wars, The Close Encounters, to you know, in high school with the the mainstream popcorn fair. Which I love, mm-hmm. and and pretty, and, and and basically, and I consider that you know pure pure, you know, it, the cinema. But at the same time, um, as I approached the end of high school, I started focusing on more, you know, uh, films that were more about character and and uh, being drawn to political cinema, um, you know, the works of uh, you know Spike Lee and. You know the wonderful character work of Jarmusch, and mm-hmm. uh, and then when I got to NYU in my freshman year, I was in New York, and I was suddenly, I suddenly not only had the university, but had New York as my way of uh, expanding my my horizons in terms of uh, finding cinema, world cinema, and world cinema through the, the the Film Society of Lincoln Center and the Anthology Film Archives and Kim's video, and suddenly I had access to all of that. And I think that that's where I jumped into the French New Wave, which I had only known the classics of. I didn't know like Eric Romer, and I didn't know, you know, um, I, I I wanted to study it. I wanted to study Italian neorealism and and French. Uh, I'm sorry, and uh, British social realism, which had a real impact on me. Hmm. Um, and discovering, you know, I Ken Loach, yeah. who to this day I I look to as like a model of like a of, of, of a filmmaker who is, I admire him so greatly because of the fact that he's, he, he's, there's a, there's a political and social message and, and, and almost a social campaign with each one of his films. And he's, he's had a singular vision for what, 45, 50 years. And, and I really admire that. And I, and I started to become more drawn to those types of films and stories simply because maybe I was just maturing. <laughs> I don't know. But, but, I, no, but to this day, I'm still watching the, you know, the most genre of genre films. Sure. I, I love studying those. But I think it, I, I started to think these are the, I would rather lean towards uh, social realist films that, that look at our, that, that, that either shed a, where, shed a light on a certain topic or, or just explore what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that came before the politics for me. Yeah. I think that, that exploring what the universal thread in all of us, that's the stuff that actually, you know, the Cassavetes, it, mm-hmm. well, they weren't exactly political films, but right. Cassavetes had everything about being human. And, and I think that that hit me hard in the early 90s. And, yeah. and that I was like, suddenly I was on a Cassavetes run where I just could not, just I would just watch husbands and opening night over and over and over again and and um and try to find other films that had those Mm -hmm. those things so um i think that that's what eventually led me down to the films i'm making yeah well you know and with uh with tangerine i remember last time we spoke you were telling me that uh you know maya was saying that she would do it if uh if it was not like a sort of woe is me plight of type movie you know and that they really it was important to them that it'd be the kind of movie that they would have fun watching. Yes, yeah, that was very important to me, and and actually, thank God that happened because I think we were trying to make Florida Project pre Tangerine, mm-hmm. and I think Florida Project would have been a different film. Yeah, it would have been a little darker and much darker. It would have still had the comedy because they're kids, right? But I think it would have been the approach would have been different. And I and, and Tangerine, I think set me down a slightly different road. I was making dramedies. I mean, if you mm-hmm. if you look at Prince and yeah. you even look at Takeout, mm-hmm. there's plenty of humor throughout all of those. Yeah. And they, but they were 
they were 50-50 dramedies, you know, 50% drama, 50% uh, comedy. Mm -hmm. Now I think it's leaning more toward into the comedy, into the comedy genre. Mm -hmm. uh, for the sake, and not to be, again, for the sake of using humor in a way, I think to, to, to capture, to be for, for, quite honestly, more truthful. Yeah. Because I think, you know, what all of our lives, I mean, everybody's life, we use laughter and humor to cope and laughter, I mean, humor exists. Even on your worst day, you can look across the street and find something funny in somebody's behavior or somebody, or something that happens, even like a, even sometimes even your own, your own tragedy has, has there's an element of comedy in it. Mm -hmm. So um, if, you, if you look at it in a different way. So when I see films that don't have that element of humor in there and that are just you know, drenched in melodrama and pathos. Mm -hmm. They don't feel truthful to me. Yeah. They actually feel condescending yeah. and completely untruthful. So, yeah, right. so what we've been trying to do with these films now is, is to, is to, is, is to have that element in there to, to, to help audience, to, to reach a greater audience and then to also have audiences, I think, mm -hmm. connect with these characters. Yeah. And, you know, there, yeah. there's the, you know, the piece of, the lack of condescension mm -hmm. is so huge. I know that, you know, with Tangerine, we talked about some of the, the tensions around representation and, and who has the right to tell what story. Yes. Uh, did those conversations change the way you approached the Florida Project when you came back to it at all in terms of really wanting to respect uh, sort of that that conversation or that sense of authenticity and just just tell, yeah, sort of the most honest version of the story possible? Yeah, most, most definitely, because um, especially as... I think we all, uh, moving forward, we're living in the, the age of think pieces, and <laughs> and, and and being a you know a uh, a white male who who has you know I'm this is this word is always some people, but the the fact that I do come from privilege, and I'm not just saying I'm not I didn't come from an affluent family, sure. but you know just being a white male, there is a a yes. level of privilege there and um, and so you have to be conscious of that and and going into worlds that might be you're looking at a, a world of a, a you know a, a different race a, a different uh, a class you have to approach it in a way where you're respectful and responsible if not I think that that's probably the most unethical thing that you can do as a storyteller <laughs> so and I and I and I couldn't I I just wouldn't go there it's it's not about my own comfort level. It's about mm -hmm. just doing what's right. You know? Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, oh, Sean. It. I really that's appreciate it. it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. That way, I like that interview. It had nothing to do with actually. A lot of the a lot of the interviews had a lot to do with like you know the actresses and this yeah. and that. But that was that was nice. well. That was nice. Thank you. Um, it was great to talk to him. Uh, I really. I mean, I love 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 this movie and it will absolutely be on my end of year list probably in the top five maybe even number one Excellent. Uh, so everyone go see the florida project as soon as you can it's rated r now for language throughout disturbing behavior sexual references and some drug material and that brings us to our second movie of the week which is marshall young thurgood marshall faces one of his greatest challenges while working as a lawyer for the naacp when wealthy socialite eleanor strubing accuses black chauffeur joseph spell of sexual assault and attempted murder Marshall teams up with Sam Friedman. Together they build a defense while contending with racist and anti-Semitic views from those who deem Spell to be guilty. My great-granddaddy, he was a slave. We're not slaves now. We've got weapons we didn't have before. We've got the law. Baby, you go into these towns, I've never seen a Negro lawyer. Hey, boy! You need to be careful. NAACP. Very good. You're going to Connecticut. Joseph Spell, Negro servant attacked socialite in her own bedroom. This case will show the world if a color man can get a fair trial in the United States. There's only 13 million Negroes depending on you. Don't any of you have any confidence in me? I'd say you have enough confidence for us all. So when you see that the movie's going to be um, about Thurgood Marshall, mm -hmm. you expect a very, like, you know, Oscar uh, tone, a lot of, um, you know, um, weight and seriousness to it. This movie looks like a fucking superhero movie with, <laughs> s like, so much confidence. And yeah. um, it's, like, super hip. 
um, and in really approachable and interesting. Is it? It plays like a superhero movie. It plays like it plays like a combination between a superhero movie and sort of like an old gumshoe mm. kind of. It's like a Black Dick Tracy. <laughs> it's like it's it really uh, it stylistically tone wise was surprising um, in the sense that it it, it felt very uh, yeah it had a certain swagger to it that was not expected, mm-hmm. um, and it also. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it's very much just a legal procedural. Mm-hmm. I did not realize it was going to be that. It really is just about this one case uh, that happened very early in Thurgood Marshall's uh, legal career. Uh, and this is so. This is an example of what we prefer from our biopics, right, exactly. which is a sliver rather than a cradle to grave. Although it's interesting because the case itself, I, you, I, I do wonder, I did wonder watching it, why this particular case uh, I mean, it certainly, you know, hits on a lot of, um, you know, key themes and t- subjects mm-hmm. from his career and from his life's work. Um, but, you know, it is at the same time, um, yeah, you just wonder, like, well, why this one? And especially because when they get to, like, the end title cards and they outline all the other things that happened for him later in life. Right, right, right. Uh, you're, you know, like, you know, winning Brown versus Board of Education, mm-hmm. winning Blunt first black supreme court justice and uh you know so you're like oh okay well i guess we'll have movies about those later maybe yeah uh, maybe since, it's coming yeah maybe this is just the first and first in series yeah it did have a very dick tracy like the color sort of palette had like a super mm-hmm. saturated feeling yeah. to it 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 packed energy in a way that like a procedural wouldn't or shouldn't yeah it just it does have that it just has that sort of even like the the, the music cues mm-hmm. um the performance the sort of the heightened quality of of chadwick boseman's performance as marshall uh you know it feels very much just like yeah like a a, a heightened modern sort of film noir gumshoe uh legal story uh which is what i mean it's interesting for so many reasons like you mm-hmm. don't ever you haven't seen this and maybe this is a thing where it's like allow you know allow people from different cultures and experiences to make movies with their own lens and like you'll be like well, why wouldn't why haven't we had a movie about like a fucking kick-ass lawyer who's mm-hmm. like like basically a superhero yeah um yeah i mean it, it's 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 made to be as broad and entertaining as possible right like you're like oh you know like a bunch of kids want to like line up and see this movie about this lawyer right right exactly battling segregation or not even battling segregation yet but um uh we have well, an all-star cast here we do. Well, we have, we, a, yeah, we have some, some star cast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I see we, why they call it that. We have some stars here. <laughs> you might know a few people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You might recognize some faces. We have Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. We have, Soon to be um, seen as the Black Panther. I know. I can't wait. Speaking mm-hmm. of superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that Ryan Coogler is directing that, right? Yep. Nice. Um, we have... Josh Gad. Josh Gad. Last scene is Gay Gaston. Mm-hmm. Or not Gaston, but um, Le, 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 whatever. Le, 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 Le Fag, I think it was. Le Fou? Um, yeah, I Le Fou, know. that's right. I'm an adult. I don't understand children's movies. Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Kate Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, Sterling K. Brown. Sterling K. Brown. You have uh, uh, Jesse Smollett. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in a brief role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays Langston Hughes, I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He's oh, like, that, okay, that, yeah, that tracks. That tracks. That tracks. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And he just like showed up, and they're like, "Hey, did you want to? Hey, Jesse, want to play Langston Hughes?" And he's like, "Sure." So he's like threw a little like scarf on him, and then popped him down. And he's like, "Hi, I'm they Langston took Hughes." Took his other scarf off. He's wearing two scarves because that one was branded with like Empire on Fox, and they're like, "You can't plug that show in no. this movie." He's like, "Ah, oh, okay." Does he sing? Um. So yeah. So this is. It's an interesting story, um, and it's it's it, in some ways it's a problematic story um, to be coming out when it's coming out. Because it is about a woman who is lying about being raped. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. Um, oh, no. Okay, yes. Sorry. Um, but with that said, so, you know, the in the story, Sterling K. Brown plays a black chauffeur who is accused by a white woman, Kate Hudson, of having raped her and thrown her off a bridge. Uh, and this is based on a true case happened in Connecticut. So here's so Thurgood Marshall at the time. This takes place in the early 40s during World War II. And he, at the time, was the NAACP's uh, only lawyer. Oof. And so he, and he is depicted very much as, like, sort of, like, yeah, like a superhero who just, like, zips around from case to case around the country, um, just, like, putting out fires and helping, um, you know, helping fight against uh, bigotry and racism mm. in these, in legal proceedings. And um, and so he, you know, but not only in southern states, which is why it's 
interesting that they chose this case because, yeah, it's in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is in mm-hmm. Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like Greenwich, I think. So Not uh, Greenwich. <laughs> I know, Greenwich. You're in Greenwich. <laughs> um so uh but yeah so you know so sterling k brown has been accused by kate hudson and um you know like spoiler alert she's lying um but uh but you know early in the film though he is um so um, marshall is staying with um a black couple who are sort of like putting him up while he's in town and um and the wife of the couple when he's telling her about the case she does get a line where she's like well women just don't just go around making up that they've been raped so what's Mm. the story here Mm mm-hmm so at least there's that line, at yeah, least yeah, someone yeah. movie, even though a female character has to be like, okay, well, just so it's clear, the movie is not saying that this is a, a normal thing. Um, but, you know, uh, with that said, you know, it is there, there, of course, are a lot of racial reasons, very, very you know, racialized reasons why Kate Hudson's character makes the allegation mm-hmm. that she makes. And uh, so, and, you know, ultimately it, it tries to sort of contextualize that within um you know her character's frame of experience nuances yeah um anything anything else we should uh, i mean i feel like this is a great saturday morning movie <laughs> your saturday morning movies are different than most i think <laughs> you're like well saturday morning time to watch a movie about civil rights attorneys mm. <laughs> just kicking ass and taking names bring uh, some cereal to the theater mm-hmm. well you know so what's interesting is uh and some have cited this as a negative that the film there i saw a headline just now that was like why isn't there good marshall the protagonist of marshall and um in some ways it has two protagonists like it does start with him it very much starts with him but josh gad is sort of mm. a co-protagonist and um you know and he co-protagonist and co-protagonist and uh and you know and he is you know a jewish lawyer who is is having horrible reports coming to him about what's happening in third reich so and they have family there and so you know so it's it's very much <laughs> what, it, what it's saying here is that the black experience and the jewish experience in the 40s were terrible but women were lying so i think that's that's the <laughs> that's the takeaway here oh, if you could just boil it down to that not mm-hmm, thinking mm-hmm. yeah that's what that. are you giving this one um i'm gonna give it like uh like a consume plus okay yeah i wouldn't say like you know you need to like go running out and seeing it but it is an uncommonly uh uh well-made engrossing legal procedural it is still very much just a legal procedural mm-hmm. um but you know it, it it feels very modern and very urgent it's a very like hidden figures feeling to mm-hmm. it where it's like this like modern modern um excitement about like in that case it was like scientists mm-hmm. and mathematicians and in this case it's like a lawyer it's like kind of like making right um you know people who aren't um just i don't know People yeah. who are, are are making nerds sexy and cool. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you know Thurgood Marshall doesn't even get to actually he doesn't even get to represent Sterling K. Brown. Uh, that's part of that's part of the whole thing mm. is that like you know because the 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 white judge is played by James Cromwell, another person in the cast oh. that we didn't mention. Oh, and Dan Stevens. So it's a beauty's reunion. Oh yeah, beauty's reunion up in up in Marshall. <laughs> Dan Stevens plays like the evil, disgusting DA, um, and then Josh Gad is essentially just propped up. He has he's never tried a criminal case before, um, but he's like they need someone to sort of be a Trojan horse to get Thurgood Marshall in there as the NAACP lawyer. Oh, interesting. Even though the judge is like, you're an out state lawyer, we don't want you here. Uh, so is yeah, Sterling K. Brown doing another law. Procedural television? No. Movie scene? Sitting behind a bench? I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, Sterling K. Brown is again. He's in a courtroom. But this time, there he is. Is, this time he's the defendant, not the prosecutor. If only Terry Crews could say what I was saying so much more succinctly. <laughs> time to get a new co-host, guys. Please <laughs> binge with Terry and Jason. I keep, I keep lifting weights and hoping I could... It's not working. Marshall is rated PG-13 for mature thematic content, sexuality, violence, and some strong language. And that brings us to our third movie of the week, which is Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. The unconventional life story of Dr. William Marston, Harvard psychologist and inventor, and the relationship between his wife and his lover, who became her lover after his death, that inspired the iconic superheroine Wonder Woman. Who's Charles Moulton? That is my pseudonym. Why don't you write Wonder Woman under your real name? Because most Americans have a low opinion of comic book writers. Or is it something else? 
I'm mad at you now. Why? Why didn't I get to see this movie? Because I saw it at TIFF. Ding. I'm even more mad at you now. <laughs> well, there was a screening of it on Tuesday night, but you couldn't see any movies on Tuesday night. I couldn't. I'm still mad at you. Go ahead. You can go tell see, us about you, this movie. You can go see it now in theaters. Oh, I, oh, I will. Okay. Oh, right. I well, will. I, I hope you do. Oh, I'm going to. Oh, good. What are you giving it? <laughs> Consume Plus. Let's move it on. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> tell me all about it, but not too much, but just enough. Okay. Go. Okay. Rebecca Hall's my favorite. Aww, oh my god, so she's good. so amazing. She's so good. When she was in that movie that took place in Pensacola. In the 80s. <laughs> in the 40s. We were talking about the movie Christine. Yes. That she was in last year. That mm-hmm. was amazing. Yes. Um, and here she is as a, as a completely different character. Mm-hmm. And once again, she is just nailing it. She is just one of the most exciting actresses working today, mm-hmm. um, which she's kind of had to gradually emerge as because for a while she was very, she only got cast in like really bland parts and she was kind of forgettable. Mm-hmm. So she's I definitely... I like she can transform from forgettable to yeah. unforgettable. Well, she's chameleonic. And very that's, much that's so. That's like her blessing and her curse because mm-hmm. she can just be completely like missable. She was in, in Marshall and you didn't even notice. <laughs> that was, was not Kate Hudson. That, that was, was not Sterling Hall. K. Brown. <laughs> You know, just like Kate Blanchett used to do with that Bob Dylan movie. Yes. That's Rebecca Hall now. She's mm-hmm. the new, she's American Kate. She's not even American. She's British. Mm-hmm. See, she's just so convincing in every role. Every time. Did that Florida accent. This time she's playing a New England academic mm-hmm. um, and nailing it. Just nailing it. So this is an interesting, this, I can't even believe. This movie got made? Yes. I know. And, and, got, <laughs> and, that, the, and that the powers that be at DC, let it come out. It's, wait, it's DC? No, I mean, because Wonder Woman is a DC movie. Oh, this is oh right. This has a whole comic book rights situation going on. Right. So, because this is about the Wonder oh, Woman of the. I didn't even think about that. How did this get made? What I like, I didn't even remember that. Like, in order to use these words, you need to be able to have the comic yeah. book universe they, sign off on that. They in the <gasps> same year that Wonder Woman came out, it was one of the biggest blockbusters of the year. Some fucking how, dude. There is somebody. Somebody. Somebody is in in there. Somehow, a movie was made and is being released theatrically. Uh, that needs to be is, a journalistic expose. I need I need the names and numbers of everyone who's greenlighting things. Who is DC? The kinky three-way that led to Wonder Woman. Well, I mean, DC has no name on this at all. This is not like a DC Films title. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so this is this is just they they had the the life rights to tell the story of uh, of, of of Professor Marston and his Wonder Woman. <laughs> this is an Annapurna film, which we recently is, discussed. Yes, and it's also so it's produced by Megan Ellison. It's also produced by Jill Soloway. Mm. Um, and then directed by Angela Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, who made uh, Debs. Right, and um, didn't she like direct some of the L Word? Yeah, she's she's done a lot of TV work, mm-hmm. a lot of TV directing. And I will say that uh, it does have a very TV movie kind of feel to it. Okay, um, it feels like I love TV movies. Go on. <laughs> no, it does. It, it very like I couldn't shake the feeling that I was watching like an HBO movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean, HBO movies are fucking amazing. They are. Uh, so it just like. Playing on the big screen, you're like, okay, this is an HBO movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it, the, even like the, the scope and scale and tone of the story it tells, it just feels like, you know, like the HBO used to excel at these kinds of like um, somewhat seedy true stories, whether it be about Dorothy Dandridge yeah, or yeah, Marilyn yeah. Monroe or Gia Karanji. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and so this feels kind of like, oh, another would be like a sexy, dark, true story behind of the of this, this wildly experimental academic people that um made wonder woman tell us the story i mean i can't remember all of it um let the movie tell you the story but uh it really the movie plays out a lot like um the kinsey movie Mm -hmm. um except for it doesn't really like the kinsey movie ultimately was it almost sort of punished its characters for their sexual experimentation Mm -hmm. and this movie doesn't do that it celebrates them it 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 celebrates them it shows the complications the emotional complications of it and you Mm -hmm. know there were ongoing tensions um between rebecca hall and the their the lover character who's played by bella heathcote um and they sort of boil over toward the end of the second act but the three of them live together for a long time and then professor marston um died first and then the two women continue to live together after that so so he is the person who wrote wonder woman like yeah. what's the they 
they meet somebody what's what's kind of just a basic story uh so they are uh they work at a university together at harvard and they are researchers and they're actually um they are uh inventing the um like polygraph test Mm. and so that's another thing that they did uh was invent the polygraph test and uh which is that why it's called polygraph which comes think of that they put the poly in polygraph we we apologize uh and uh, and that's part of and that's part of why in wonder woman um she has like the 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 truth lasso Mm. that she's Ah. able to throw you know wrap around people and make them tell the truth Uh um and that also has to do with um the bondage aspect of it as well and um mm-hmm. and so so you know we have these uh yes yeah, so we, we we just have this really sort of inspiring story of these brilliant creative people who just wouldn't accept you know the the imposition of society's norms and we're just like no like we are going to pursue the lives that we want to live and we're going to pursue truth as we understand it and um and uh you know and it leads to you know they're 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 just intensely creative and inspired and out of it comes the polygraph test out of it comes wonder woman and you know it's it's very much about like the earliest incarnation of wonder woman Mm -hmm. which i guess um you know there had been uh eventually once there was sort of this public outcry over the very clear snm um sort of uh, subtext of the wonder woman comic books and eventually it kind of got sanitized and mm. reintroduced. Um, but the origin of it is all still there. And so even if if only as a supplement to Wonder Woman, the film, uh, this is such an interesting companion piece. It really is. I was genuinely shocked. I did not know very much about the story. And apparently there is not complete consensus on what actually was the nature of their of the three of their relationship. Mm. Um, you know, there are scholars of their lives who say that they... Well, they both women were lovers of Marston's, that the women themselves were not lovers. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's, yeah, not complete agreement on that. Uh, but all the same, uh, just, just watching these, um, these people just courageously live as they choose to live, um, in like a three-way arrangement with they're raising kids. Eventually, they have like kids. That's fantastic. Uh, and uh, and they just soldier onward, living in the suburbs and putting up with the horseshit that comes with that. And mm-hmm. and I think that this is a really vindicating movie for anyone who loves comic books and has like a critical, like academic reading of them. Because mm-hmm. obviously, it's really easy um, to, to for comics to be dismissed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You've done it on the show many times. <laughs> uh, and, mm-hmm. and what this does is, uh, is shut your mouth and say, you know what? Let Terry Crews talk. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, no. So this, uh, you know, this, this, this shows you sort of like the, all like the brilliant sort of in between the lines things that can go into something like a mm-hmm. comic book. Um, it also completes our doing the beast reunion <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> because, because Gaston himself, Luke Evans mm-hmm. plays uh, Marston just as charming as they get. Um, what are you giving this movie? It seems like we were so far three for three about. Yeah, I mean, I would say this is like a consume plus as well. Like, I think this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, I was just surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised by the movie itself. I'm surprised that it exists. I'm surprised that it's allowed to come out. And I think that, uh, I think that people will be shocked when they watch it and they see the true origin story of Wonder Woman and of the, of the man who, uh, created it. So this is, I, I really do. It, it's still a can't shake it HBO moviness, which is why it's mm-hmm. not a full-on binge for me. But it's a consume plus, and I you will be surprised by this movie. I'm going to be spending the whole weekend at the movies, um, avoiding the air quality outside. Yes. Professor Marston and the Wonder Women is rated R for strong sexual content, including brief graphic images and language. And that brings us to our fourth and final movie of the week, which is The Meyerowitz Stories, new and selected. The adult children of Harold Meyerowitz reunite in New York in preparation for their father's career retrospective. Are you Harold Meyerowitz's son, Matthew? Yes. Uh, and this is Danny, also Harold Meyerowitz's son. I didn't realize he had two sons. And a daughter. Dad, you'll be okay here. It'll be nice to spend time with Dad. No, I didn't get a lot of time with him growing up. This has stuff old Rebecca would have liked a lot written all over it. Oh, but really? new Rebecca is a little cautious because it stars Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller. Sure, sure. Who's going to like it better? 
you know, I think older Becca might like it better. I did. So I saw this with a friend of the show, David Fitzgerald, previous mm-hmm, guest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I did turn to him around halfway through it and say, Rebecca, I would hate this. <laughs> and he agreed. Good to know. Yes. Uh, so, you know, it is... So it's a three-act movie, and it has, you know, sort of neatly uh, divided into title cards and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the first act is about Adam Sandler's relationship with uh, his father and also with his teenage daughter who's about to leave for college. Uh, and Adam Sandler is like a whole different person in this movie. Is it like punch on glove, Adam yeah, Sandler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that actor. It's he like, can do it. It's like where I don't. We forget. It, it's it's, it's mind boggling how he can just flip this switch and suddenly be like this nuanced, brilliant character actor that you feel empathy for. And yeah, I mean, he takes it up a notch in this from where he wasn't punch drunk love even. Really? Um, I, probably because he just looks sorrier. Yeah, that mustache <laughs> he's, doesn't help. He's he's older now. You know, this is like what fifteen years after punch drunk love. Wow. Um, and uh, and so he is. He's just like this rumpled, sad man. Uh, who, yeah, he has an 18-year-old daughter who is about to leave for college. And um, and so he is, now that he's sort of, his role as father is sort of going into, onto the back burner, he is now left to sort of contemplate his own father, uh, Justin Hoffman, mm-hmm. who is a sort of minor artist, a minor sculptor figure who um, is a professor at a university uh, and who uh, is, is very, very pompous, very uh, sort of... Um, just a real codger, real codger, <laughs> real curmudgeonly, um, very, very sort of like indignant uh, about like the lack of respect he feels he's gotten professionally mm-hmm. and um, and very like sort of disappointed in his children that know that none of his other, uh, so he has three children. Um, they are played by Adam Sandler, who is meant to be, he's sort of like a, a musician who never did anything with his musical talent. Um, ben Stiller who is uh, sort of a successful real estate guy, but mm. he lives in L.A., so he's sort of like the successful one. Um, he's the one that Brad would have been jealous of in Brad's status. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, you know, he's not doing anything artistic. And then they have a, he has, there's a daughter, Jean. I don't know the actress's name. I think she's in House of Cards. And, uh, and she's just sort of, she's not developed especially well. Mm. That's an issue the movie has, um, which I'm surprised that Noah Baumbach, because, you know, he's been in this relationship with Greta Gerwig now for some years, mm-hmm. and they've made films together like Francis Ha. And I was really thinking that, you know, this sort of like newfound uh, uh, care and attention to female characters that he's sort of been getting through her would come to bear in this movie. It really doesn't. Mm. Um, the women are very much marginalized. It's not. Emma Thompson's in this movie as well, Emma right? Emma Thompson. Pretty much rehashing she... her character from Harry Potter. She is, you're right, she is wearing that same wig. (laughs) Um, She is miscast in this movie. She is just miscast. So we have Emma Thompson there, sort of in the background. We have Rebecca Miller, actually, Mm. rarely does like a rare acting part in the film. Uh, We have, uh, yeah, the actress who plays their sister, Jean. We have the actress who plays the teenage daughter. Another weird thing that this movie does is it repeatedly shows the 18-year-old daughter naked. That was a weird choice. The context for her nudity is that she plays like um, she's like a, an experimental filmmaker, and so you go, she goes to school and she keeps making all these like really weird short films where she mm-hmm. plays a bunch of different characters and like one of them's always naked, um, and doing like some weird sex scenes with strange costumes, and like the joke in the movie is that like she keeps like making these and like sending them to her family to watch, and mm-hmm. Adam Sandler's like watching his daughter like doing these like topless scenes in her weird student art films, and it's like ah, and like trying to be supportive, but like it's very weird out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, on the one hand, it's, like, entirely her agency as the character. But it also, it's one of those things where a woman director probably would never be like, we should do this. Right, yeah, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to mm-hmm. imagine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and the reality is that this young actress is, like, repeatedly nude hmm. um, in this film, um, you know, for the joke of making her father feel very uncomfortable. Uh, so that was a little weird. Um, but, you know, it's it's... So the first act is about Adam Sandler is terrific terrific i was like okay this is really like gorgeous like you know ruefully funny um you know very insightful then the second act is when ben stiller comes in and it at that point it just starts to feel repetitive mm-hmm. partially because he is very much playing like you know kind of when i said for brad sass i was like ben stiller can't play this kind of character again they had him play and, that character and, again well, i mean no no because i mean like there's certain ben stiller ticks that you just kind of can't help but yeah. you're like okay well there's ben stiller doing that thing he always does 
Um, but I mean, like he's not playing a sad sack here the way he was in Brad's status. Mm-hmm. He's if anything, he's he's like the the successful douchebag. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's in that particular mode. But it just feels repetitive. And you're like, okay, so now we're watching. It feels like two different movies. Like the movie where Adam Sandler has Dustin Hoffman as his father, and the movie where Ben Stiller has Dustin Hoffman as his father, and they don't super vibe together very well. These two movies. Hmm. And then they are not especially concerned with the sister, like, at all. She doesn't get the third part? Um, it, it seems like she's going to get the third part, but then all she gets is a single story. Like, she tells a story about something that happened to her when she was a teenager. And then it just goes right back to, like, focusing kind of in the third act. It's more about all of them. It's about all three siblings. Wow, that seems like a, like a purposeful... I know, it feels like a diss. It yeah. feels like a diss. Um, and so, in the movie, overall, it feels kind of like a cross between um, Hannah and her sister's and the Royal Tenenbaums. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. kind of thing that, like, there are such a disproportionate amount of movies that are made about, like, the adult siblings of artists who grew up in Manhattan. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. not relatable. It's not no, relatable. but those are the people who make movies. Those are the people who make movies, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, so, like, I'm, like, I'm sure Lena Dunham's watching this movie, like, oh, my God, fucking yes, <laughs> I feel so seen. She's, like, yes, I right? did go to Oberlin. I did make topless short films. I did send them to my father. And, you know, like, this is me. I feel very, you know, like, Noah, you're crushing it. So I feel like she would watch this movie. I'm going to, I'm going to, like, watch her Instagram now for this. <laughs> yes, it it's going to happen. It's going to happen. She's going to take a break from Weinstein stuff and to be, like, okay, just quick plug. Um, you know very fleshed out very very I feel depicted I feel representation for me personally my experiences I feel very pleased with your Lena Dunham impression thank you I mean like it's been when I was listening to her podcast I was like really on point with it I need to refresh it That's when we do Dunamoki, when we do all karaoke in the style of Lena Dunham. <laughs> but let me also just say that in this movie... Lena Oki. Lena Oki. Lena Oki. Lena Oki. Working title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me... One final detail about just how different Adam Sandler is in this movie from what we've seen him do before. You will hear him say the sentence, Sure, I like Cindy Sherman. That happens in this movie. Adam hmm. Sandler says the name of Cindy Sherman. That's a thing you never think would happen? No. World's been had colliding. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Adam Sandler. How yeah. did that happen? It's, I mean, he, he genuinely, like, I feel like I want to tell people to watch this. In, in guys, this is a Netflix movie, so you can watch it as of today on Netflix. Uh... Oh, is it one of his, like, seven movies no. that he's, like, signed up for? <laughs> no, it's not one of his, like, shit pile Netflix movies. Right, because that's, I mean, that's the most recent thing to compare it, it with. And, like, th- they were, like, terribly racist. Oh, absolutely. Like, trying to do his old thing. They weren't, but not even as funny yeah. as they used to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is, the only time you're reminded of him at all in this is, like, whenever his character screams. Because Adam Sandler mm-hmm. can only scream in one way. Well, sure. Um, and so his voice does do the exact same, you know, shift uh, mm-hmm. that it does when he screams in his silly movies. But um, but you know, I would I would recommend you know, yeah, watching just the first act of this and nothing else. Um, <laughs> and Justin Hoffman is also terrific. It's a terrific mm-hmm. performance. I mean, it's, it's a despicable character, um, but he is hilarious as the despicable character. You would hate him so much. Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> um, so you're giving this a? I'm giving this also. Like giving cons- a, I'm giving plus for the first part. Yeah, well, I mean, like the first act of it, I'd give a binge. Mm-hmm. Um, but given what happens in the second and third act, the third act in particular is very scattered and meandering. Hmm. Um, so I give the whole thing a consume plus overall. Um, but you know, like it's, I feel like Adam Sandler's performance is a must see. It's a must see for anyone who, uh, wants a surprise. So that is the through line between this and Professor Marston is that these are <laughs> surprising Hawkers. movies. Uh, the Meyerowitz story is new and in, new and selected is unrated, but probably are for nudity and language. And that's it. That's it. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes if you're an iPhone user or on Android. You can find us at Stitcher uh, or the SoundCloud app. Um, Jason, you are on Twitter at XSFaggage. I'm at Fight Balance. And you can find us at Facebook.com slash The Binge Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.